This is a Whole Observatory podcast. Hello, my name is Cody Halfmoon, and you're listening to a Star Stuff, a space podity. Today, we're joined, of course, by our co-host and black hole enthusiast, Haley Osborne. Hi, guys. And today, we're also joined by Lowell Planetary Scientist, Dr. Jennifer Hanley. Hi. And Dr. Scott Barrows, an adjunct astronomer working here at Lowell. Hi. And you guys are black hole enthusiasts as well. If I understand it correctly. Well, yeah. I mean, black holes are are pretty neat, huh? (laughs) They're cool. (laughs) What kind of backgrounds do you guys have? Let's just do a little investigation into your, you know, your research and how you got there. Um, I'll start. Uh, Yeah, so my research uh, is actually very closely related to black holes and uh, specifically mostly really massive black holes at the centers of galaxies and how they grow to the sizes that we observe them to have and um, yeah how that can how that's connected to the galaxies that they're inside of I just recently learned that there are uh, black holes a black hole inside of our galaxy so I don't know if that's common knowledge, but that blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, there's um, a supermassive black hole in all major galaxies that we know of. Um, and <laughs> um, so I uh, study planets in our solar system. I do not study black holes, but uh, I find them fascinating. And I hear a lot from Scott about them and, uh, I think they're pretty cool and, you know, just thinking about what are they really and how do they affect, well, the formation of galaxies and then that trickles down to stars and and solar systems. Nice. And uh, how did you know you wanted to get into this kind of research? Let's just keep going. Like, we'll ask you both questions and we can just have Scott answer and then Jennifer, you can answer next. Okay, sure. Oh, I didn't really know that I wanted to do this specific research. Um, I sort of found myself doing this um, at some point in graduate school. Um, I've been interested in in a vast array of space science and astrophysical topics. Uh, At one point, I thought I wanted to be a planetary scientist myself, uh, like Jen, but Mm -hmm. that didn't happen. So I'm doing something different for right now. Um, But it's, it's very interesting nonetheless. And, um, you know, and I, I've, I've been interested in it ever since I started. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy uh, with, uh, you know, the the sort of research that I do right now, uh, but always looking in new directions. Cool. So the black hole, you, you didn't find the black hole life. The black hole life found you is what I'm hearing. Yes. Yeah. The, the circumstances found us together at some point. <laughs> this is a love story between black holes and Dr. Scott Barrows. <laughs> it's beautiful. What about um, you, Jennifer? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, 
I have always known that I wanted to, to study space or something space related. Um, when I was little, we had like those books on, you know, the like Snoopy encyclopedias and, uh, you know, each book was a letter and I really wanted the A book because it had astronaut in it. uh, I've always tried to stay up on all the different sciences, really, uh, you know, physics and math and, but also chemistry and biology. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when I was in college, my major was, it's called science of earth systems. And so it's like looking at earth as a planet and, I did got to do some research uh, with a summer program uh, at the University of Arkansas, which is where I ended up uh, doing going to graduate school. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's actually where I met Scott, as we both went to the same graduate program and uh, was able to keep doing planetary science and Mars lab work, which I really, really enjoy the lab work because I like getting my hands dirty. I like being (laughs) able to see pictures of what I'm Mm -hmm. studying. You know, I, you can see pictures of the surface of Mars and, um, I, I just, Mm -hmm. that really motivates me and, uh, it's just very exciting. So you went into it knowing you wanted your PhD. Yes. Originally. That's daunting. (laughs) I feel like it's almost, I I can't identify, but I feel like it's almost more daunting, like knowing exactly what you want. Because then it's like, Mm. oh, well, that's 10 years of education. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So. No pressure. Well, so after college, I took two years off because I was like, did not have the mental capacity to jump right into Mm -hmm. graduate school. I knew that I wanted to go to graduate school. Yeah. But I also knew that I needed a break first. So I Man, went we should have had you on our, for a year. <laughs> we should have had you on our academic burnout uh, yeah. episode. We literally talked great. about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I definitely encourage breaks. And just even if you know you want to do it, you can't mm-hmm. be going full speed your whole mm-hmm. life. It's, it's oh, too yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, and you no, guys met I, in college? That's cool. In grad school, yeah. Grad school? Mm-hmm. College sweethearts. Cute. Uh, <laughs> it's adorable. Sorry, Haley, you were going to say something. And I know that you also needed a break from school. I just thought that was oh, interesting. Yeah, I was just going to like bring up the podcast, but then you did. Um, oh, yeah, sorry. The <laughs> academic burnout episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, we're, we're just on the same wavelength this morning. Great. It's okay. <laughs> well, I tried to jinx you, but I said same page. Oh, well. we'll we'll work on that we'll work on that so close so close speaking of wavelengths I actually this this is a little this is a little off topic but I have to bring this up Uh, what a nerdy segue speaking of wavelengths I know well a couple years ago we were doing meet an astronomer and this was before the goto so we were doing it down in the rotunda plaza and I had this Mm -hmm. like mini presentation because like my background is in you know spectroscopy and light and all that and I made a joke about like, oh yeah, nobody uses angstroms. And then Jennifer walks up and she was like, I take offense to that. I use angstroms. <laughs> I don't know if you remember I that. Do not remember I remember this. That moment haunts me. Oh, no. 
What is an egg so hard? An egg, 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 like an egg. Angstrom. No, like Ang, like the last uh, the last Airbender. Ang. Ang Strom. What is that? It's a way of measuring wavelengths of light. And like oh. a lot of people use nanometers. And so I was making a joke about like nanometers are superior. And Jennifer was like, no, angstroms are. <laughs> I don't know why I would say that. I don't use angstroms now. That's so funny. <laughs> That's so much better. <laughs> that makes that story so much better. <laughs> we had uh, Jennifer on a live stream. It was fantastic. I forget even now, Jennifer, which one it was. Was it the women in STEM? Or oh, you've been on a few. But I've been since on a I've few. Been here. Yeah, I think that the live stream that you're referring to is the women in STEM one. Nice. I, I just remember being like, because we were planning the podcast, like, oh, man, I really want you know, to get Jennifer on, uh, on a podcast as soon as possible. And, uh, I forget who on the team is like, Oh, that's so intimidating. She sounds so smart. Oh, <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, it's intimidating, but it's cool. <laughs> yeah. And just so. for, um, for, for any listeners out there an angstrom is, is 10 to the minus 10 meters. So a nanometer is 10 to the minus nine. And, uh, an angstrom is just one decimal point over, and uh angstrom yeah i don't it has the little like degree symbol over the a yeah oh i've seen that yeah yeah but i don't know I that feel was like... just one of the funniest things that's ever <laughs> happened to me because she just like came up behind me and i did not see her <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> it was awesome well, i'll have but to do you use angstrom. angstroms do you is that the, the wavelengths you use uh, no, I use nanometers. Oh. No, but Scott, do you? Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm going to keep that word in my back pocket for next time. I need a really good insult. I feel like it would, I don't know how to use it yet, but I feel like it would be really good. Like I give one angstrom, I don't know. We'll it, out. <laughs> it sounds like a small unit. So I it feel is. like there's something there to capitalize on. So uh, in, in the, the spirit of explaining things to Cody, <laughs> um, so Haley uh, has, she just loves black holes. It's no secret. Um, huge fan of them, has a tattoo of a black hole, is always uh, just doing such a good job explaining that on the podcast. Uh, but in case there's a new listener, I would like to know in, in the words of Scott and Jennifer, what what is a black hole and um why are they so cool well i guess the uh, most general definition of a black hole is when um you have a some amount of mass and it's compressed down to an infinitely small volume and um if when doing this you, you create a region around it with such a strong gravitational pull that not even light can escape. And uh, so light cannot be emitted from this object and hence it appears black. Um, and so, you know, uh, our known examples of this in the known universe are, you know, like, you know, astrophysical phenomena like uh, stars that, massive stars that have reached the end of their, um, uh, 
lifetimes and uh, have collapsed down into black holes. And then uh, more massive examples, like maybe if those two, if two stellar mass black holes collide or, you know, black holes could potentially have grown very massive in the early universe. And those may be the ones sitting at the centers of galaxies. Um, but yeah, those are, um, that's what a black hole is. And those are our, you know, how we observe them currently so far. Right. So it's hard to observe because like you said, they're just you literally unobservable. So it's impressive that you guys figured out a way to do that. Right. Yeah. Well, so yeah, just in, in astronomy in general, um, you know, if you're using telescopes, you know, all you can do is you just look, you look to where the light is. Well, I guess now mm -hmm. also where gravitational waves are, but we won't get into that right now. <laughs> My brain's not ready for that, Scott. <laughs> you got to prep it because we are bringing that up later. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, sure. Well, but anyway, yeah, so you look to where the light is. And um, there is there can be a, quite a bit of light around uh, black holes, um, even though they're not emitting it themselves. And basically, you know, if anything gets too close to a black hole and if it if its sort of tra trajectory of following into the black hole is, um, you know, not straight on, but, you know, kind of spirals in, then it'll lose some energy as it does this. And some of that energy is emitted in the form of light. And um, because these black holes are so massive, well, sorry, because the gravitational potential, the gravitational force around the black hole just before it falls in to the event horizon, beyond which light can't be emitted, uh, because that can be so strong, there, uh, this, uh, this amount of light emitted from the, the lost energy and this, you know, whatever's falling in can, can be really intense. And so they can appear very bright. And so that's how we observe, we infer their um, uh, existence from that. Oh, that was like They're a shy. really great comprehensive uh, yeah. explanation. Jennifer, do you have anything to like add to that? Uh, so I guess one thing that might help people understand uh, what a black hole is and how dense it really is, if Earth were to form a black hole, it would be about a centimeter in diameter. All of the mass of the Earth would be squeezed into one centimeter. Oh my God. How, how though? Like, that's my question. <laughs> I mean, like, I know, you know, you think of like a, a piece of aluminum foil, it's big and you mm -hmm. can scrunch it up to a small ball, but there's only so much you can scrunch it. Well, I think that's kind of part of the conundrum of black holes, you know, what's going on in there. I think, and Scott will know better than me about this, but, you know, uh, particles break up, right? And when you have an atom, you have your, your proton and your neutron and your electron. And proportionally, there's a lot of space in there. But when you degenerate everything and it breaks down, you can squish things really, really um, close together. <laughs> uh, and are they hot or cold? Well, uh, no energy is leaving them. So I guess we consider them cold in that, in that way. I'm not sure what's going on inside oh. a black hole. <laughs> right. We can't really take a trip to one. Will they be responsible for the inevitable heat death of the universe? This is what I want to talk about on my Friday. <laughs> <laughs>
Because uh, they just consume, or they don't consume. I mean, I guess they do consume. I don't know. Well, only something that is within the event horizon will get consumed. So, and that's only, you know, maybe, that's only a certain amount outside of the size of the black hole itself. Uh, so we do see the mass is there, right? And so we see things orbiting it, just like we have things orbiting our sun, but things won't fall into it. It's just an orbit, a stable orbit. I'm so glad you brought that up because literally every time I bring up black holes, I'm like, they are not vacuums. They do not suck things into them. They're not the space monsters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're not Star Trek, uh, Stargate Atlantis. (laughs) Right. And I remember, um, Jennifer, you were on another podcast where we got to pick your brain about planets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that the uh, black holes, I learned this recently, if you poked it, it would be like the smoothest surface you ever poked. It was like a sphere, sphere, spherical ball, right? Mm-hmm. Um, hot take, is it a planet? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is like a ball of mass, you know? Yeah. So typically we consider a planet something that is orbiting a star, for one. Um, I suppose you could have, like, planets that are thrown out of their solar system. Um, Rogue planets. Yeah, rogue planets. Um, But typically... It's just a, a different mechanism of formation, right? I mean, it's the same reason right. why a star isn't a planet because a star right. is something that is, you know, making energy and a mm-hmm. uh, black hole is, you know, has all of its mass inside of it. And so it's just, it's just right. a different, a different thing it's entirely. Different. So this is hotter not take, like hotter take a black hole is a star. Take. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Scott, well. what's your hot take on that? <laughs> Oh, well, a, a black hole may have formerly been a star. Oh, like Prince. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> so is this a, is a hot dog is a sandwich uh, debate? Is this the, the space debate of our time? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no. I don't think anybody I think else is suggesting this. Yeah, yeah like joking. <laughs> is, an, is, a, is an asteroid a planet? It's probably closer. Um, <laughs> It's probably closer. Right. Okay. Well, we'll leave that debate to another day. So you said, uh, Jennifer, they, they orbit around this black hole, not a formally known as a star. Um, (laughs) Do they also spin like a sun does or like a star does? Yeah, I'll um, I'll let Scott answer that. I think he has some evidence that they do. Yeah, how nice. dizzy are these boys, Scott? The the question is, do black holes spin? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, we we certainly think that they do. Well, we we know that they do. Well, yes, very likely. Um, so yeah, I mean, say say the black hole was once a massive star that collapsed into a black hole. Well, stars certainly spin around an, an axis, um, you know, and that energy that it's spinning with uh, was, you know, left over from 
you know, the material that actually formed the star in the first place. And so then the star itself is spinning and then it collapses down to a black hole and it maintains a spin. Um, basically because, you know, mm. there's just some amount of angular momentum from the original material that formed the star and that hmm. is, is kept when the star forms and that's kept when the black hole forms. And so it's oh. spinning. Um, we need a new series of just uh, Scott explains space because yes. your definitions are so succinct. Like I get it. My brain's not melting. And how do you that's like awesome. see the spin? Do you like, like accretion disks or jets or anything like that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, there's a number of, of ways that uh, spin is inferred. So you you, you mentioned uh, probably the, the the two best right there. So uh, radio jets. So if, if if it's one of those black holes where where we can see it because there's a lot of light around it, some of that light can be in the form of of, of radio wavelengths and specifically actually jets that are you know emitted sort of um, sort of like a bicone. And um, the what's the, a bicone? I'm sorry. Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, basically, um, if you have sort of like, well, imagine a cone of light right. coming out of the from the black hole one direction, and then if you have two of them in opposite directions. Gotcha, gotcha. Nice. And then the the spin, um, if the black hole has a spin, it will can affect the position, orientation, and possibly the change of the orientation of those jets. Um, and then also, uh, Jen also mentioned uh, accretion disks. So those are that an accretion disk is basically uh, a disk formed by all the material that's falling into a black hole. If that material is there, and that's where a lot of this light can come from that we see also. And um, if the black hole is spinning, then that will some of that energy will be coupled with the accretion disk. And since we can see light from the accretion disk, we can actually take measurements of that and sort of infer a spin of the black hole from that as well. Um, so they're all sort of indirect measurements, um, you know, but oh. it fits with theory. Um, so it makes it likely that, you know, there is some sort of, that, you know, some sort of, that a spin rate is being measured. I have a dumb question. So you mentioned accretion disk. I know that's like where light is spinning around like almost like a Saturn's rings. Like you have the light around the black hole and then you have light going across mm -hmm. as it's being kind of not sucked into <laughs> the center. <laughs> um, why don't we just see what we would think of as a star because there's light all around. Is it like the momentum of the spin? Is that how we know they're spinning? Well, black holes are so far away, first of all, that we wouldn't be able to resolve them. So it would just look like a single point of light to us anyway. Um, oh, okay. So it would look the same as a star. Um, right. If, if you were to get right up next to it or image it really, really well, which um, actually has been done with the, uh, with the Event Horizon Telescope uh, for the black hole in the Milky Way galaxy. Um, um, but if you were to, to do that, then yeah, the, the, you would find out that that light is not spherically distributed around the, you know, uh, around the whole black hole, but is mostly concentrated in sort of, uh, well, a disc like like a like, like a frisbee like like a like a frisbee with a hole in the center, just sort of you know. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah I uh, 
I speak Cody, so I just uh, dropped some <laughs> pictures. Yeah, I get it now. <laughs> I showed yeah. her some pictures of what you were talking about with the pictures of the black hole and the jets and everything. So we'll, yeah. we can drop those in our Discord as well. Yeah. Thanks. Like, yeah, and, and yeah. definitely take a look at, well, I'm sure you've seen it, but, you know, the images from the Event Horizon Telescope. Yeah. Um, and those, yeah, kind of give you an, an idea. Yeah, that's the one I put in our, uh, we've got a Google Doc that we're following, so I put it in there for her. Okay, perfect. Yeah, where I just ask Haley, Jets, question mark? Jets on a black <laughs> hole? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Haley, you dropped... You dropped two photos in here. One I of did. them is a, gra- is a, I'm assuming like an animation, not a true photo. So um, I dropped two pictures in here because we uh, were planning on segueing. Because um, mm-hmm. one of the pictures is the picture of the supermassive black hole in M87, because there's also, you can see the jets on that one. The other one is of a quasar, and that was going to be our next topic. Uh, So do you want to explain uh, what a quasar is? Uh, A quasar, sure, yeah, that is a, uh, well, it's a black hole. Um, The idea is that there is a massive black hole a supermassive black hole, actually, mm-hmm. uh, presumably at the center of a galaxy, and well, it's doing the same thing. It's uh, there's this uh, accretion disk of of matter around it that's falling into the black hole, and you know the energy it loses, some of it is uh, uh, in the form of light, and because this black hole is so massive and such a strong gravitational field, uh, a huge amount of energy can be released from the mass that falls in. And so they're very, very bright. Um, and so so bright that they can be observed out of great cosmological distances. Um, the, the term quasar is sort of a shorthand for a quasi-stellar object. The idea being that uh, they were when they were first noticed, they just appeared visually as stars uh, because they're so bright, um, quasi because it's not really a star. And, um, you know, it wasn't until, you know, spectroscopists looked at these things and found out that, you know, they're actually, the light is not coming from a star in our galaxy, um, but rather uh, from uh, from very far off, uh, which means they have to be intrinsically very luminous. And, you know, it turns out that, you know, well, yeah, they're produced by the, the, the energy is coming from the gravitational potential energy uh, around uh, in the gravitational field around a supermassive black hole. This photo is so insane. I'm going to put it in our chat here that I, I messaged Haley and I was like, this isn't a, this is an animation. Like this is a, not real. This isn't a real photo. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, It's (laughs) it's the picture from Chandra's X-ray observatory with um, like the microwave and uh, visible images on top of it Mm -hmm. of uh, Centaurus A's central black hole. So, is ours that pretty? 
I'm feeling competitive because that's pretty. No. <laughs> well, I don't think so, right? Well, we wouldn't see it because we're mm. like inside the galaxy, right? We can't take a picture of our own galaxy from outside because we're too close to see our own beauty. Got it. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, this this image is of the entire galaxy, and yeah. so you know that yeah, the dust is the plane, and and also um, our the black hole at the center of our galaxy is not that active as well. Right. So Which is probably good for yeah, us. That's why I was saying, like, it won't be as pretty, but we're alive. So. But we're alive. <laughs> yeah. We've got great personality. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, gorgeous. I definitely would have guessed that was a drawing, a uh, computer drawing. So, uh, and Scott, your your research is on so galaxies basically colliding, right? So ostensibly, also two black holes colliding. Yes, that uh, is expected to follow in a lot of cases. Okay. So what what happens when two galaxies collide? Yeah, right. and they're they're flying around space, which is also terrifying. Right. Uh, the. Gal- well, so galaxies are um, galaxies collide actually quite frequently um, because you know they're they're relatively big. The galaxy plus the 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 dark matter surrounding it uh, is is relatively big compared to the distances between them, and so they interact and and can merge uh, frequently. And when they do that, yeah, if they each have one of these massive black holes in the center, you know these these black holes. Um, you know, friction from everything in the galaxy kind of drags on the, the black holes, kind of slowing them down. And, you know, just like any two heavy, dense objects and, and something less dense, you know, drop something dense in water, it sinks to the bottom. And if you have two dense black holes and, you know, galaxies that are mostly just gas and, and stars, uh, they're going to both kind of find their way toward the, the center of, of mass of, of that merging system. And hmm. um, if they do that, you know, quickly enough or efficiently enough, then, then eventually they are expected to actually merge with each other. And we're uh, going to have a collision course or we're on a collision course with Andromeda, right? Yes, that's definitely right. happening. Yeah. So Jennifer, nice. what would happen to planets in those galaxies asking for a friend? well you know so as dense as the galaxies look uh from pictures uh the stars are really quite spread out i mean if you think about how close our nearest stellar neighbor is you know four-ish light years away uh probably most of the galaxies when they interact the stars will just pass right past each other. Um, And there's a lot of simulations about what could happen. And it's going to come down to chance and luck, you know, where if if our star passes too close to another star, some of the planets could get stripped away. Um, But we don't really need to worry about that because the collision timescale is on the same order as when our own sun will go um, red giant 
And so we're kind of looking at the end either way. Oh man. (laughs) I love the nihilism. Um, (laughs) So you're Um, mentioning how things are far apart. I have a dumb question. uh Um, uh, So when I was uh, in elementary school, my science teacher did a, uh, an example of, I guess, a science experiment where we stand on two students stand on either side of the room and you know, he was like, Oh, that's how far apart relatively are the particles in our bodies are, or I might be saying the wrong word. I don't remember that was in third grade, but, um, basically is like relative to space and things being far apart. Is that sort of what a black hole is, is when all that space is removed? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's my favorite way of explaining it to people. I'm always like, look at your hand. Like, you can remember a time you opened a door with that hand or like high five the person next to you. Like your hand's solid, right? And they all like laugh and they're like, that's a dumb question (laughs) or a dumb (laughs) statement. And I'm like, actually, it's like 99% empty space. And then they all get really quiet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I remember people use that for like, oh, you could pass through the stuff technically if it lined up just perfectly, you know, which no, I don't think we can, but, um, okay. I wanted to make that clarification before we ask the next cool question, which is how do we know these galaxies are colliding? How do we detect them since they move so slowly from our perspective? Oh, right. That's a, that's a good question. Yeah. So, um, we, when we see, the way we know galaxies collide is because we're, we just see sort of snapshots of the collision uh, for individual cases, right? So you're, you're right. When we see two galaxies uh, near each other, like um, like the Milky Way and Andromeda, for instance, right? Um, like we're not really observing them sort of move closer to one another, but we know how far apart they are and we know their relative velocities you know, and sort of uh, taking those known parameters and just with some basic, you know, um, galaxy dynamics, you can infer that they will eventually merge. And the same is true with with observing any two or multiple galaxies that are uh, in proximity to each other. And the way we kind of do this, you know, we, you know, we like to talk about this idea that galaxies merge and this you know, involves them, you know, but like I said, we're just looking at snapshots. So all we really do is we look and we, we find uh, pairs or, you know, groups of galaxies with different separations and a whole range. And you can kind of take all these individual snapshots and piece together this sort of picture that ultimately that they do merge from, you know, they do go from large separations to small separations and eventually merge and, um, but that's how we have to do it is sort of with this um, sort of, you know, piecing together uh, these little pieces of, of evidence, of circumstantial evidence. So I did have a quick question that we didn't uh, put on here, but um, we were talking about uh, detecting galaxy collisions and everything. Um I know that LIGO is like a big part of that. Um, do you use LIGO? Do you- LIGO? It's a, it's an interferometer. It's a ground-based uh, uh, 
interferometer um, that it can detect gravitational waves from astrophysical sources. Oh. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, and uh, like LIGO uh, detects, uh, it detected like two supermassive black holes colliding together. Uh, Cody actually had a question about that. Cody, do you want to ask the question? Oh, yeah. Um, so if there are two black holes that are colliding with one another, then they just become two, like one really, 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 really big black hole, right? And they get bigger and more dense and their gravity becomes crazier. Yes. Sorry? Yeah. They, they, they merge and the, the summed mass is uh, something larger than the end of it. Some, some mass is actually lost in some energy that, that gets lost in the collision. So it's not wow. exactly the, like, you know, the mm -hmm. just adding one to the other, but it will be larger. Mm -hmm. And this is also maybe an, a very intro question, but I know that you study light and you said you also study gravitational waves. And then Haley brought up the, this crazy instrument I'm reading about right now. Uh, how do you study a gravitational wave and how does gravity make a wave that we could study? Does that make sense? What is this? <laughs> what is? What is? Sure. Yeah. So I'm not a gravitational wave expert, but... Um, right. Uh, so it's um, this idea that um, well, anytime two two masses interact, like we know that, like we know that you know two black holes near each other will will interact gravitationally, and the sort of you know general relativity picture of that interaction is that the the mass, is, like any massive object, sort of distorts the shape of space time around it, and it's those Whoa. distortions that cause. Um, two massive objects to, to be pulled to each other. Um, and um, it, a, sort of a, a further prediction of general relativity from this is that um, if you have two, if you have a massive object and it's moving through space, if it's, if it's movement, if it's accelerating through space time, it should generate, and that, and that acceleration is not symmetric. Um, oh, my brain. <laughs> <laughs> if, if a massive oh, object is moving through space-time, just think of it that way, um, then it will uh, generate gravitational waves, which is basically kind of like oscillations in the shape of space-time, uh, oscillations in the form of a wave, where you have oh a stretching and shrinking along, uh, you know, or orthogonal axes. Um, it kind of you can view it as a wave, um, and the idea is that um, as it uh, that it, and the, uh, those waves are emitted outward in all directions, um, yeah, including toward Earth. And so the idea is, you know, if there's some gravitational wave out there and it's strong enough, then LIGO could de uh, detect it. So and, is that just a wave of time screaming like, ah, there's something else <laughs> with me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So the wave is, a, you know, it's a position and is a function of time, but also space you know uh, it's its position um Ugh. and um ouch my brain <laughs> the, to, in order to for to be detected the um the signal has to be very strong of course um hmm. you know and so the these waves uh gravitational wave events are going to be detected uh, most likely from 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 certain very strong sources and one of those very strong sources is when to uh, massive objects, um, mm -hmm. 
you know, collide. And what what's really happening is they're as they get closer, you know, they're they're spinning around each other, and that and their their separation, you know, it's it's decreasing because um, they're emitting gravitational waves, which are taking away energy, which shrinks the orbit even more. And it's, it's those last final seconds or, well, fractions of a second, I think, when they're spinning so fast and so, and the, the emission of gravitational waves is so strong that the signal is strong enough to be detected by LIGO. So, uh, Jennifer, that, would that mean that like a planet doesn't have gravitational waves or they do, they're just too small to see? Yeah, it's the, it's the latter. Um, anything that has mass affects space-time, but the smaller the mass, the smaller the effect is. And so a planet is much too small to be observable by something like LIGO. What is, okay, so what happens to time? If, if you hypothetically could survive flying through space at a crazy speeds and, and getting next to a black hole, uh, what happens to time here? What, if space-time is a measurable thick thing in our universe, right? It's not something that we made up. It's an actual measurable unit of life, uh, which is something that I'm still wrapping my brain about around. But so what happens when gravity messes with it? It's when you're near a black hole. Are you asking about interstellar? <laughs> yes, I might be. Don't tell Gerard Van Bell. Yes, I am. <laughs> Well, what a good way to think about it may be like the theory of like special relativity, which is sort of a subset of general relativity. So uh, also affected by, um, you know, mass, well, relative motion, you know, if, if you're near a black hole and you're moving very quickly, then, you know, time would, would be different for you than uh, someone who's not near the black hole and not moving as fast. So we stay young forever. I love um, that. Well, you would age at different rates. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that's actual, like, that's not, it's a theory as in like gravity's a theory, I guess, but like that is time dilation and, and changing because of the changes in gravity. That's a measurable actual thing. Yes. In our perception of time. So our perception of how time is passing isn't just something that's in our head. It's something that, there's a, a physical force around us that's altering that. Yeah, I mean, I think that they've actually measured time dilation with new, like, atomic clocks. Um, I mean, it's, you know, a small fraction of a second, but uh, basically the faster you're moving, the more of an effect it is. And so... Um, yeah, it's space and time are intertwined and it's really hard to wrap your head around. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Yeah, I'm just like, it's so hard because that's from our perspective and you think it's just a constant. Mm -hmm. And then you hump on a podcast and learn that it's not in everything that I thought <laughs> was, uh, it's mind warping. It really is. <laughs> Yeah. 
So if someone wanted to study what you guys are studying, what advice would you give them? Because you guys, I just have to say, like, you guys study, this is cool. This is just oh, yeah. so, so cool. Uh, what would, what would you tell them? How would they get to where you are today? How can they become a Dr. Barrows and a Dr. Henley? Well, I mean, there, there are many paths to becoming a, a researcher. Um, mm-hmm. but I guess I like, I like Jen's approach, the one where you, um, you know, are going after something that you really like and know you want to do. I know you may not always know what you want to do, but um, mm-hmm. if you do, then yeah, I think that, that sounds it. It, it sounds rewarding to me. Yeah. Well, I think you know you can have an interest in something, and if you're good at it then that makes it a lot easier to pursue. Um, you know, it's not to say that it'll be easy, but um, it it does simplify things if you're, right. if you, you know, like don't hate math or something, right? And I know there's a lot of people that hate math and I think that's partially just a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Math is, you just have to think of things in a certain way and you know, everybody's brain works differently. And so some people might just have a natural affinity for it and others might not. It's not something that you can't learn, but, you know, you want to enjoy what you're doing. And so um, I know there was a time when I did research uh, in college, in undergrad, and it was looking at, you know, some like astronomy, like K-type red giants and metallicity. So I was looking at spectra and I was like, I don't like just looking at squiggly lines. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, you know, tried to figure out how to do planetary science and something that I could actually see pictures of. And of course mm-hmm. the like ultimate irony is that I do spectroscopy a lot now and I still look at a lot of squiggly lines, but <laughs> I have other um, nice pictures to look at in addition, and uh, I can use the lab part of it as well. Um, so, you know, I think the the big thing I would say is find something you're interested in and and pursue that, but don't, you know, Scott's path is, is absolutely just as valid, right? I mean, you know, like mm-hmm. he, he was following physics and you know it was like oh space is interesting and just kind of an opportunity presented itself and absolutely if you have an interest in it then you can jump jump on that i love that i wish we had two more hours to talk about space time but yeah so one one thing about black holes that we didn't mention is the idea of spaghettification We've talked about that a couple times. It's literally like one of the coolest things ever. (laughs) When you're going toward a black hole and it like stretches things out. Yes. Yes. Because your body is experiencing the gravity at different rates because the mass is so dense that, you know, even just the distance from your toes to your head is experiencing gravity at a different um, rate. Am I explaining that right, Scott? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah. The the change in gravitational force from your head to your foot is so strong that um, 
It would stretch your body. Yeah. Turn you into a spaghetti noodle. I loved talking about all of this. This is like the coolest episode ever. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I say that a lot, but like, I just, I'm obsessed with black holes. So, you know. We should do a Um, whole episode about space time. I'm just throwing it out there. Throwing it out there. Anyone's down. Um, but yeah thank you guys so much for coming I had a great time I hope you guys did too Um, and to our listeners out there I would like to remind you that we do have our discord channel and our twitter Uh, we're going to drop some of these pictures we talked about in the discord channel Um, I might even post them to our twitter if people are actually following me (laughs) and uh, you can use the hashtag hashtag ask star stuff to ask us any questions you might have about life the universe and everything so thank you so much scott and jennifer it was a pleasure having you yeah thanks so much it was fun you guys are fantastic thank you so much guys thanks this podcast was made possible by our members and donors if you enjoyed this episode and want to support our nonprofit in making more digital education like this available, go to lowell.edu slash donate. Thanks for listening.